Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Than, uh, ...than telling people about Jesus and the power of God. It's good to see the lovely young couple here tonight, and uh, they decided to join us after a long day. And uh, congratulations to the both of you. Yeah, please. That would be great. Is it all right if I come down here? When I was here Friday night, I told people I like to spit a lot, so watch out. And, uh, but it's been a great few days here in Toronto. And uh, it always seems like the time goes fast when you're having a good time. And, uh, but I'm looking forward to getting back home. I haven't seen my, my family for a little bit. And so I get the privilege of going back to the great state of Maine and uh, seeing them for at least three days before I leave to go to Pennsylvania. And, uh, but if you would have your Bibles with you, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know a lot of you got to work tomorrow. And, um, but if you would take your Bibles and open it up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, beginning with verses 35 through 43. Again, that's Luke's Gospel. Chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. And uh, for the offerings that they've received for us Friday night and this morning, and for the offering that they're going to receive tonight for us, I want to thank you because, uh, you know, there, there will be those people that say that they don't need to thank people or, you know, for their giving. But I, I beg to differ a little bit with that. I, I thank you for giving to the kingdom of God. And uh, understand that everything that comes in, it may be received by uh, a ministry or a man here on the earth. But when you give to God's work, it's being received in heaven by God. And I understand. I understand that people are not my source. I understand that our ministry in Western Road Pentecostal Church is not our source. And I know God is my source. But I also understand that God uses the generosity of people to sow into the kingdom of God. And so I want to thank you because everything we saw happen last year when we were in India, everything that we're going to see happen in Cuba and happen in India when we go back in July, uh, every reward that we receive, I believe you're also going to receive a reward because you financially tied yourselves to our ministry and so... I wanted to take some time just to publicly thank you for sowing into the ministry and for being obedient to the voice of God and how he's directed you to give and how he's directed you to bless our ministry. And I just pray God's blessings back over you and uh, over your home and family. But now in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, I want to read a few verses here out of the New Living Translation, and this is what the Bible says. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, there was a blind beggar that was sitting beside the road. And when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now listen to what the people in front of him said. They said, be quiet. But the Bible says he only shouted louder, son of David, Have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped, and he ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, you know, let me pause there just to say, I I find this interesting. The only reason Jesus stopped and ordered the man to come to him was because the man had the boldness and the courage when everybody else told him to be quiet. He was the only one that was bold enough because he had a need. He was the only one that was bold enough to call on the name of Jesus. And it was at that moment that Jesus stopped and ordered the man to come to him. So a lot of times people say, well, you know, sometimes if things are going to happen according to God's will, then it's just going to happen. And I beg to differ because God's will is that we all walk in divine health and receive a healing touch from the Lord if we need it. But watch what Bartimaeus did. Bartimaeus took the initiative 
And when Jesus was walking by, Jesus wasn't looking for him. And he knew Jesus wasn't looking for him. But he took the initiative and he called out to Jesus. And because he called out to Jesus, we know at the end of the story, he was greatly rewarded. I look at it like this. People say, I've heard many evangelists say and preach this. They say, well, when I got out of Bible college, I never called a preacher or a pastor to go preach at his church. As soon as I got out of Bible college, I always had them calling me. And the first thing that I want to say is get off your high horse. And because I know I've been doing this now for 15 years, and I've been around other evangelists, I know that they also make phone calls to go and receive invitations to go speak at other places. Because I know at the age of 37, you know, Pastor Jonathan, even though him and I are good friends, he's got a very busy life. He's got a wife that he's got to take care of. He's got two kids that he's got to take care of. And then he, three kids, wow, that's right. He's got three kids. And the last one, I'm so honored that they would, they, that they would call him and, and name him after me, Nathan. And so, but he's got three kids that he's got to take care of. And then he's got a whole church that he pastors. So I understand that Pastor Jonathan on his time off, he's not sitting on his lazy boy at home wondering and thinking, well, I think I got to call Nate Pimentel tomorrow and see if he wants to come and preach at the church sometime in 2018. I understand that I'm not on everybody's mind. But I also understand that I know that the Lord has called me to do something, and sometimes it's going to take initiative on my part to go out and follow the call of God. Because a lot of people think, well, just because the Lord has called you or because you have a word over your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that that calling and that word is going to come to fruit in your life. I understand you've got to chase after the call of God. You've got to chase after the word that's been upon your life. Can somebody say amen? And so I would, I would envision myself when I was a young man in Bible college. Remember the soccer store I used to work at, Soccer World? I used to work there, and I would be in the back, and I'd be putting numbers on T-shirts, and I would vision, like envision myself preaching to people in auditoriums. I would picture myself preaching to people in Europe. I knew the Lord had a call in my life to go overseas and to go over to Europe to preach. And let me tell you what, for 15 years, I never stepped foot on any land in Europe until just a few weeks ago. And I understood during that time, it's not that God, you know, it's not that God didn't want me to go to Europe. It's not that the word wasn't real that I received from so many people. But there's a part that I must play. I must chase after what God has for me. I can't just sit back and wait and hope that everything is going to happen. I have a cousin who's strayed away from the things of God. He's had so many words over his life telling him that he's going to do great in the music ministry and that the Lord was going to use him tremendously in worship. But he's strayed away from the things of God. And he's living an alternate lifestyle. And he just says, well, if all those words were true, then eventually God's just going to bring me back to the kingdom and I'll start working for him. But that's not how it works. He said, I'll be just like that man or that thief that was on the cross beside Jesus. Right at the end, he was saved and he made it into heaven. But listen, I don't want any of you today to have that mentality that I just want to make it into heaven. God doesn't want you to just make it into heaven. God wants you, yes, to make it to heaven. But on your way to heaven, God wants you to be a great impact for the kingdom of God while you are here on the earth. Can somebody say amen? And so understand, just like Bartimaeus, God, you know, God's desire is that we would receive the healing touch. But Bartimaeus took the initiative and he called out to Jesus. And so when he called out to Jesus, verse 40 says, Jesus heard him. He stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. And as the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And so Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it 
praised God too. Can somebody say amen? Now, when I read the Bible, one thing that I notice about the Bible is that when people, a lot of the people in the scriptures, when they received their breakthrough, or whether it be like a miracle that they received, or whether it be a healing that they received, I realize that a lot of these breakthroughs that happen in, in the lives of the people in the Bible, it didn't just happen by chance. It didn't just happen by luck because in the modern day, there's this mindset or a lot of people believe that miracles just happen to people by chance. But understand today that miracles don't just happen to people by chance. And they don't happen to people just because you may be more deserving than your neighbor or because your need may be greater than your neighbor's need. But the reason miracles happen is because people release their faith. Can somebody say amen? I've heard people say, well, they were at the right place at the right time. As a matter of fact, there is no such thing that being at the right place at the right time has anything to do with luck. It has absolutely nothing to do with luck. Because if you are a child of God, then luck is not what you operate by. What you operate by is by the favor of the Lord that is upon your life. And so being at the right place at the right time is more than just lucky or more than just chance. Just like miracles are more than just accidents. You see, the Bible says the reason being at the right place at the right time, right place at the right time, is more than just luck, is because the Bible says that the steps of a righteous man, they are ordered by the Lord. You should be so in tune with the Spirit of God that even when you think that you're at the wrong place, you will always be at the right place at the right time. Because the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And sometimes we don't know why things happen in our lives. And when we encounter the, those situations, what we need to do is we need to take a step back and we need to realize I'm only looking at the small picture, but God sees the big picture. And so because God sees the big picture, he's going to make sure that I'm, so, I'm, I'm at the place where I'm supposed to be for the moment. Can somebody say amen? And so I believe when we stray away from the things of God, or we start walking away from what God has planned for us, I believe that God will make certain things happen in our lives so that we can return back to the path that we're supposed to be on so that we can accomplish the task that God has for us. I remember a while back, I was in Tampa, Florida. I can't remember if I told you the story, but I'm going to give you the short version of the story. I was in Tampa, and I was leaving on a, on a Thursday morning to fly back home to Bangor, Maine. And when I got to the airport in Tampa, Florida, my airline, my, my flight got canceled. It wasn't delayed. It was canceled. So they had to put me on another airline so I could get back home. So instead of leaving at 9 o'clock in the morning now, I'm leaving at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So it was a long time to stay in the airport. So finally, wheels go up, and we're halfway to LaGuardia, New York, when the pilot comes on. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, he says, uh, we have to take a detour. He said, before we took off, I forgot to fill up the plane with gas. And so I thought to myself, who in their right mind forgets to fill up the plane with gas? And so, you know, I didn't say it out loud, but in my mind, I was like, you better land this plane real quickly before we run out of gas. And so now, because we had to detour to Cincinnati, it's gonna, we're going to get to LaGuardia, New York, even later. And I thought that we were going to miss our plane. But as I looked on, on our phone, thank God for technology, I looked on the phone, and it said that my plane in New York had been delayed and that it wasn't going to be leaving till 1 o'clock in the morning. And so we land in Cincinnati. They fill up the plane with gas. We get back on the tarmac, and we had to wait there for an hour before we were allowed to take off. Now, I'll tell you what, waiting in a small plane for an hour uh, with a plane filled with people gets very uncomfortable. And, you know, it, it's hard to breathe because you start smelling everybody's body odor. For some reason, they shut off the air condition and they sh shut off the vents in the plane. So it gets like you're, you're getting antsy and you're like, man, just get this plane in the air. So finally, the plane gets uh, in the air and we're on our way to LaGuardia in New York. Now, we're supposed to get there at 10.30, and our plane was originally scheduled to leave 
at 1030. And uh, so when, I, when we got to LaGuardia, we land at the, at the gate. I come off, and I go and look at the, at, the, at the monitors to see where my plane is leaving from. And I looked at it, and I thought I was, like, seeing something by, by mistake. I thought my, my, my eyes were playing, playing tricks on me. And when I looked at it, it actually said that my plane had left just, like, 15 minutes ago. But on my phone, it said that we weren't going to, that our, my plane wasn't leaving until 1 o'clock in the morning. So when I asked the lady what, what in the world happened, she said, well, she said, your plane was supposed to leave at 1 o'clock in the morning. And it got delayed because of, the, because of the weather. But the weather cleared up, so they brought, the, they brought the departure time back to its original time. And so now I need to be home in Bangor, Maine that Friday. The lady tells me that I won't be able to get a flight out to, out to Bangor till at least Saturday morning. Well, I didn't have time to wait till Saturday morning. I had to be somewhere else to preach. And so... Everything that could go wrong went wrong. You ever have times like that? Everything that could go wrong goes wrong. And so I started getting really aggravated and really upset. And I had a couple of friends with me, Paul and Heather. And I had Vinny. My, my friend Vinny was also with me. They're all on staff at my church. They came down to the minister's conference that I was at. And so I told they were all on the plane with me. And to them it was no big deal, you know. The lady said, well, you can go downstairs and wait till 3 o'clock in the morning, and hopefully you can get on a flight uh, that'll connect you to, to Bangor, Maine. And they were all fine with that, but I, I wasn't fine with that, and I didn't have time for that. So I told them, I said, this is what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to go down to the car rental department. I'm going to rent a car. I'm going to drive all the way to Massachusetts, and then I'm going to go all the way to Bangor, Maine on Friday so that I can pick up my stuff and finally go, you know, finally go on my way to preach wherever I have to be on Sunday. So when I get to the rental department place, you know, I have to get on a bus that will take me to a shuttle that will take me to the rental department. So when I stepped outside, I had all my bags with me, and it was pouring, like, so much rain. I've never experienced that amount of rain. And figures that this airport didn't even have anything over me for me to walk. And so I was getting completely drenched and soaked. I'm getting aggravated, um, talking to myself. People must think that I was crazy. And uh, so I get, in the, I get in the shuttle bus. They take me to the, to the car rental department, shuttle buses. I get into the first bus, and the guy says, do you have a reservation? I said, no. And he said, well, they're not going to give you a car. These cars are only for people who have made reservations. So he just kicked me out of the bus. So I went to the second bus, and they said the same exact thing to me. They kicked me out of the bus. The third, the third bus that I went to, which was the final bus, the guy asked me the same exact thing. And I got so aggravated that I sighed really loud. And he said, you having a bad day? And I'm not one to, you know, speak negatively. I said, well, things are not going the way that I planned for them to go today. And, uh, and so I was getting heated and aggravated. And the guy, you know, all I want is a car. And the guy starts making small talk with me. And he's like, where are you coming from? I'm coming from Florida. Oh, why did you go to Florida? I bet the weather must be real nice down there. I said, yeah, the weather is nice down there. He said, what were you doing down there? I said, well, I was at a minister's conference. And the moment I said that, I regretted even saying that I was at a minister's conference. Because I was about to lose my cool and let these people have it. But once I told them that I was at a minister's conference, I all of a sudden lost that right to lose my cool. And so when I said that, right now, listen to what I said. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Now, for me, I saw myself getting on a plane and getting home. But I own, my picture is very small. But because God sees the big picture, my assignment for the time was not to get on a plane and go home. My assignment for the time at that moment was in LaGuardia, New, at LaGuardia, uh, New York at the airport. So when I told the guy that I was a minister, this is what he said. You're the exact person that I've been waiting for to come into this bus all day. And so the guy just told me how his, him and his wife, their relationship wasn't good. They were about ready to split up. Starts telling me his whole life story. So right there in the bus, I got to minister to the gentleman. And I got to pray with him and lay hands on him. But when he called the company up and said, if they had any vehicles for me to rent, because he felt bad for me before I started all that conversation. He, they, he said, yeah, well, they got one vehicle for you. 
but it's going to cost you $700. And he says, the only vehicle they have is a Ford Focus. And I thought to myself, there is no way that I'm going to pay $700 for a vehicle that I'm not even going to be able to fit my left thigh into. I said, these guys are out of their mind if they think that I'm paying $700. But reality is, I had no other option. So that was the only vehicle they had left. And so I was driving a little Ford Focus hatchback, kind of like my Geo Metro. It reminded me back in the day, I drove a Geo Metro when I was in Bible college. And so, but I took the vehicle. But I ended up praying for the guy. And so after I ended up praying for him, he took me to the rental department. I walk in there. And there was a room full of people, three workers working behind the desk. And all of a sudden, they started talking to me. You know, they, they had smiles on their faces at like, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight. Who in the world smiles that big at midnight? Figured people would hate working at midnight. They want to be at home in bed with their families. But I walk in there, and they're all smiles. I'm still a little bit aggravated because now i got to pay $700 for a vehicle. And so the guy starts talking to me. The manager of the place, Hertz Rental Department. And he goes, hey, brother, what do you do? He goes, where are you coming from? What do you do for a living? And so I told him. I said, you too, huh? I said, well, I'm a preacher. I said, I just, I'm coming from Florida. And uh, we were at a minister's conference. And he's like, what kind, of, what kind of Christian are you? And when people ask that, I know what they mean. They want to know if I'm Baptist or they want to know if I'm Pentecostal. And so I told him, I said, I'm sure enough not Baptist. I said, I'm Pentecostal. I said, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in speaking in other tongues. I believe in signs and wonders. And the guy goes like this, oh, my brother's a pastor too. And he's, uh, he pastors in the country of Ghana. I think that's what he said, like overseas somewhere. Now, there's a room full of people that have no idea what in the world we're talking about when it comes to the Holy Ghost and to the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders. You know, oftentimes us Christians use so many Christ, uh, like Christian lingo that people don't understand what we're talking about. And so the workers behind the desk started asking questions and said, what's the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders? And before I even got to the Holy Spirit, I started talking to them about Jesus. And it was at that moment I realized that this is the whole reason why my flight got canceled and my flight got delayed. It's because God had an assignment for me to accomplish here in New York. And I, let me tell you what, before I left that place, I, I had the opportunity to lead those people to the Lord Jesus Christ and to a personal relationship with Jesus. But not only did I get to pray with them, but I got to lay hands. Can you imagine this Portuguese preacher in the middle of Hertz Rental Department in New York at like midnight, I started laying hands on everybody and praying in the Holy Ghost. You see, we look at the small picture, but God looks at the big picture. And sometimes because we look at the small picture and we've got our mind and our eyes set somewhere else other than what God has called us to, sometimes God will have to disrupt your plans so that he can put you back on the right path. Can somebody say amen? So you see, being at the right place at the right time is more than just luck. The Bible says your steps are ordered by the Lord. And so just like being at the right place at the right time is more than just luck, miracles are more than just accidents. And let me give you a definition for miracles. Miracles are actually orchestrated events delivered by the hand of God in response to man's faith. So you may be here today, and you may think that your case may not be as great as your neighbor's case, or it may not be big enough for God to give attention to. But listen to what I'm about to tell you. Miracles will not happen and do not happen in your life. Because your situation may be greater than your neighbor's. And miracles don't happen because a person, in your eyes, may be more deserving. But miracles happen and miracles are released when people begin to release their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when we look at our text here in Luke, I believe it was Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. We read a miracle account where Bartimaeus receives his healing. And in all honesty, looking in the natural, Bartimaeus probably would have been the last person on everybody else's mind who would have received a miracle. But the reason Bartimaeus received a miracle on that night was not because he was in need, and it wasn't because he had been blind for so many years, but the reason Bartimaeus received a miracle is very simple. He released his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we read this miracle account in Luke chapter 18, I believe it's interesting to note 
that the Bible says Jesus was passing through Jericho. And so as Jesus begins to pass through Jericho, the Bible says that Bartimaeus heard the commotion of the crowd and it prompted him to ask a question. And he said, what's going on? What's happening? And so the crowd responds back to Bartimaeus and they say, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. And I believe, the Bible doesn't say this, so this is me. I believe the moment Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by, I believe something must have leaped up on the inside of him that said, do not let this moment pass you by, but this is your opportunity to create your miracle. And so what did Bartimaeus do? He did what any normal Pentecostal person full of fire would have done. The Bible says, even though he couldn't see Jesus because his life was complete darkness, he was surrounded by darkness, the Bible says that he began to call on the name of Jesus. And I said all that to say this, today you may be here and you may find yourself in the middle of darkness, my friend. But I've come to tell you that when you begin to call on the name of Jesus, all the darkness around you will begin to dispel at the mention of his name. Because when the light of God's word steps into your situation, regardless of how dark your life may seem or be, the light will always overpower and the light will always win. Can somebody say amen? You see, no matter how severe your situation may be in the natural, Jesus is always greater than anything that you may ever face. Jesus always holds the trump card over what the enemy throws your way. And so today I declare to you, if you find yourself in the middle of a dark situation in life, I prophesy over your life that you're coming out of your season of darkness and you're stepping into your season of triumph in the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Because there's something that happens when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 4, that when you call upon the name of the Lord, he will save you, not from just one, not from just two or three, but the Bible says he will save you from all your enemies. And so when you call on the name of Jesus, whatever form your enemy may be in today against you, it has to die at the mention of his name. Can somebody say amen? And so Bartimaeus knew that if he could get to Jesus or if he could get Jesus to come to him, he knew that this would be his moment to receive. All he had to do was capture the attention of God. And all it takes to capture the attention of God is faith. You see, the woman with the issue of blood, the Bible says she had suffered for 12 long years. This woman captured the attention of Jesus. How? The Bible says with the touch of faith. The Bible says that when she pushed her way through the crowd and she grabbed the hem of his garment, the Bible says that Jesus came to a standstill. He turned around. And he said, who touched me? For I feel healing virtue flowing out of me. Now what compelled Jesus to stop was the very, with that woman was the very same thing that compelled Jesus to stop with blind Bartimaeus. What compelled Jesus to stop and turn around was this woman's faith. And my desire for you today, if you've encountered something in your life, if you're battling something in your life, my desire for you today is that your faith would cause God's eyes to stop over this location. That God would turn around and say, I, somebody touched me for I can feel power flowing out of me. Can somebody say amen? Because some of you, you've cried for way too long and you've battled for way too long. But today, as you release your faith, Get ready to capture the attention of God. And as you capture the attention of God this evening, my friend, every harassing spirit that has ever tormented your life, it has no other option but to die in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, if this woman with the issue of blood and if blind Bartimaeus could get Jesus to stop and work a miracle because of their faith, then your faith, my friend, can also get God to stop and work a miracle on your behalf. See, like I said a few moments ago, miracles don't just happen by luck, and they don't just happen by chance. 
but they are actually the deliberate acts of God in response to the dynamic faith of men. And so as you release your faith on a daily basis on the word of God and on the Lord Jesus Christ, get ready, not by chance, but get ready for God to deliberately perform a work of wonder in your life. Can somebody say amen? You see, it was, I've titled this message, Creating Your Moment. And the reason I titled it Creating Your Moment or Create Your Moment is because of this. It was the faith of Bartimaeus that created his moment for him to receive his miracle. And the reason I say that is because when Bartimaeus asked what was going on, the crowds responded that Jesus was passing by. So when we read that, it leads me to believe that Jesus wasn't going to stop and speak to Bartimaeus. It leads me to believe if, if they say, well, Jesus is passing by. leads me to believe that if something doesn't happen, Bartimaeus is going to miss his opportunity to receive from God. And so I believe when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he wasn't going to let go of this opportunity. Bartimaeus wasn't having any of that. And by his reaction, you can tell that he made up his mind. And the thought must have crossed his mind at some point that when I get close to this Jesus that I've heard so much about, I'm going to make sure whether he's looking for me or not looking for me, I'm going to make sure I get his attention. And so the Bible says he did what any normal Pentecostal person would have done. He started calling out and shouting out, the name of Jesus. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But then the religious folks all around him, you know what they told him? They told him, keep quiet. You're too loud. You praise too loud. You shout too loud. You jump too high in church. The master doesn't want to be interrupted by that. But when they told him to keep quiet, the Bible says he only got only louder. And he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I'll tell you why the religious people will look at you and they will try to reprimand you and they'll try to tell you to take it a notch lower. You know why? The truth is nobody else knows what you're going through in life. Have you ever heard somebody say, have you ever encountered a tragic event in your life? And somebody say, I know exactly I know exactly how you feel. I know what you're going through. I'm, I'm praying for you. They're lying to you. They, they have no clue what you're going through because they never went through what you went through. So that's why the religious people will tell you, you've got to bring it down a little bit lower. Why? Because they, they don't know what you've had to endure in life. And so because they don't know what you're going through and because they don't know what you've had to endure in life, guess what? Nobody else will be able to pray with the same intensity for the miracle that you have been longing for. So when the religious person chimes in and they tell you that you're too extreme, let me encourage you, do not apologize to them. But keep on pushing forward and keep on calling out Unto the name of Jesus, can somebody say amen? Because when the religious chime in, and they'll get upset if you tell them this, but I'm bold enough and big enough to tell them, I don't care. But when the religious person chimes in, it's nothing but a devil trying, you to, trying to hinder you from receiving what God has for you. So you've got to make up your mind that you're not going to quit until you capture the attention of God, regardless of what you have to do. You see... Blind Bartimaeus captured his attention. Why? Because he called out to the name of Jesus. He, he didn't care what anybody else thought. The, I believe the number two reason that Bartimaeus received his miracle is a very simple reason. He was specific in his request to the Lord. When Jesus asked him, he said, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And without any hesitation... This is what Bartimaeus said. He said, I want to see. It reminds me of last year in 2017, in December of 2017, I was preaching at my home church. And uh, a lot of people think that I preach at my home church a lot. I really don't. Last year was actually, in 2017, was the first time 
in two years that I preached at my home church. But I'm always on the road. And so my pastor, when he calls me up and asks me if I want to preach, uh, church for us on Sunday night begins at 5 o'clock in the evening. He'll call me at like 4.15 and say, hey, the Lord spoke to me and he says you should be speaking today. So I don't get a week like a lot of people do to prepare for their messages. So he's like, you got to speak tonight and the Lord wants you to speak. So, you know, I gladly, whenever I have the opportunity to preach, I preach. And so I remember that day I was preaching and there was a young couple that came up to the front. Now they, had, they have a child. They have one, one, uh, one daughter. But when they came up to the altar, I felt the Lord speak to me and he said, you go up to that lady and you go ask her if she, if she wants another baby. And so I walked up to her and I said, I said, would you like to have another baby? And as soon as I said that, the girl just started crying and crying, like so, so much so, like snot started coming out of her nose. And uh, I said, lady, I asked you a question. I didn't ask you to cry for like 10 minutes. All I want is a yes or a no answer. Do you want another baby? And she's like, yeah, you know, snorting the whole time and shaking her head. And uh, I said, what would you like, a boy or a girl? And you know what her response was? Her response was, she said, I don't care what it is. I don't care. I don't care if it's a boy. I don't care if it's a girl. I said, no, you got to be specific with God. Because if you want something specifically, be specific with God. And God will give you a specific miracle. And so she said, I, I, you know, I, it doesn't matter to me. So I looked at the husband. I said, I said, what do you want, a boy or a girl? He said, I want a boy. And so I laid hands on her. I said, Father, I thank you for giving life into this womb. And I said, I speak a boy into existence in the name of Jesus. And so, you know, that was back in December. I had been on the road for a long time. And uh, I don't know if this happens to you a lot, but when I'm in churches and I'm talking to people, I can always sense when somebody else wants to talk to me because they're like standing far away and they're like tapping their foot and they're looking at me, you know. So I always know when people want to talk to me. And, uh, and so I sent when I when I was at church, I was off for a week. I went back home, and I was at church, and I was talking to somebody, and I can see that the man that I had prayed for, him and his wife, he was standing like maybe about like 10 feet away from me, and he was just like with his arms crossed. So I knew he wanted to talk to me. So I ended the conversation with this person. I went up to him, and I said, I said, hey, what's going on? He's like, yeah, I wanted you to be the first person to know. And I said, what was that? He goes like this, remember you prayed for my wife back in... Uh, Back in December, I said, yeah. I said, you know, baby boy, right? And he said, yeah. He goes, I just wanted to let you know that uh, my wife's pregnant. And uh, we finally went to the doctor. And you're the first person to know, he said. And he said, we just want to let you know that the doctors confirmed that it's a baby boy that's coming into our family. And then he said, you know, I want to thank you so much, you know, for everything that you did. And my response to him was this, and I'm being honest. My response to him was this. I said, man, I said, I, I said don't thank me. I had nothing to do with your wife getting pregnant. I said, it, that was between the both of you. I said, I just prayed to the Lord. I said, isn't it, isn't it a good thing that the Lord hears, hears our prayers? Amen. But I told him, I said, that's a lesson learned. You got to be specific with God. And so Bartimaeus, he was very specific with Jesus. When Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want to see. So Bartimaeus probably, most likely, must have heard of what Jesus had already done in the lives of other people. And now he has the miracle worker standing in front of him, and he's asking him, he said, what do you want me to do for you? And I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is posing the same question to you tonight. And he's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And what God wants is, God wants your response. God doesn't want a list of the symptoms. What he wants is your response. He wants the response to your desired outcome. Can somebody say amen? You know, for example, we see in another portion of scripture, I believe in John chapter 5, the lame man that sat by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, the Bible says that that man had been in that condition for 38 years and that there would be times when an angel of the Lord would come and stir up the water. And the Bible says if any man stepped into the water during the stirring of the, stirring of the pool, the Bible says the first person to step into the water would automatically be healed of their infirmity. And so it was with this man for 38 long years, day after day, 
week after week, month after month, for 38 years. You know what would happen to him? Somebody else would always beat him into the water, and he would leave another day with the thought of what could have been in his life. And then one day, the master shows up. And his name is Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus had knew, knew how long he had been in that condition. So let me pause there and just say this real quickly. God knows everything about you. He knows how long you've been battling. He knows how long you've been suffering. But I also believe just as much as he knows what you've been battling with and how long you've been suffering, I also believe God wants to do something about it tonight and end it once and for all in the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? And so when Jesus shows up to this man by the pool of Bethesda, he asks him the same question that he asked the lame, that, that he asked the lame man, that he asked uh, blind Bartimaeus, except he asked it in different words. And he said to the man, he said, would you like to get well? Now blind Bartimaeus, and now we as people, we've labeled him that blind Bartimaeus. But how many of us, he started off as blind Bartimaeus, but after Jesus was done with him, he's no longer blind Bartimaeus. And so his response, the guy by the pool of Bethesda, his response was completely different than Bartimaeus' response. Bartimaeus said, I want to see. What does the man by the pool of Bethesda say? He says, I have nobody to put me into the water. He said, every time the water gets stirred, somebody else jumps in before me. And the truth is, Jesus wasn't looking for this man's story. Jesus was looking for his faith. See, people, my mom tells me all the time, Nathan, you ask too many questions. You annoy me. That's what she says. But you know why I ask a lot of questions? It's because I'm looking for people's faith. I'm looking to see where your faith is at. All Jesus wanted when he asked blind Bartimaeus, when he asked the guy by the pool of Bethesda, he said, do you, do you want to get well? All Jesus wanted to hear was a yes or no answer. But you know what he did? He did what a lot of people be, do today. They begin to describe the problem, they began to lift up the problem over the word of God. Like this man who had been lame for 38 years. And as long as this man had a sympathy mindset, guess what? He would have remained spiritually blinded to the fact that the one who was asking him the question had the power to heal him and to set him free. But the truth is a lot of people want sympathy. A lot of people want people to have sympathy for them. But this is my line of thinking. Why look for people to feel bad for you when you have access to the one who can set you free? Now, you may have the doctor's report, and you may be battling a situation or an infirmity in your body that has been there for years, or you may be dealing with something completely different that requires the hand of God upon your life. And let me encourage you, instead of looking in all the wrong places for your answer, recognize that answer is only one prayer away like it was with this man who sat by the pool of Bethesda. Don't allow your circumstances to blind you spiritually to the fact that Jesus the healer is in the house tonight or whatever it is that you may need of him. See, the good thing about Jesus is he said, I am that I am. So that means whatever you need him to be, at that moment in time, that's exactly who he will be. If you need him to be a healer, then he'll be your healer. If you need him to be your savior, then he'll be your savior. If you need him to be your, your, uh, your deliverer, then he'll be your deliverer. Jesus will be whatever it is you need him to be at that current situation. And he's telling you and asking you right now, what do you want me to do for you? Would you like to get well? Would you like to get set free? And if your answer is yes, my friend, then he's ready and willing to deliver you out of all your problems. For the Bible says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the enemy. Jesus didn't come so that you can feel comfortable in your situation. The reason I say that is because there's a lot of people who have given up the fight, and they've learned to say, well... I'm just going to learn to live with it in my life. And the truth is, as long as you keep thinking like that, you will always remain stuck in life, and you will always be bound by that thing. But Jesus didn't come to help you learn to learn to live with it. Jesus came to remove it out of your life. Can somebody say amen? See, Bartimaeus knew exactly how it felt to be blind. So when Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. 
He had this desire in him. He said, I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. And so when the opportunity arose, the Bible says as Jesus was coming by, he created his moment to receive his healing. And I believe just like Bartimaeus created a moment to receive his healing, today you can create your moment to receive your healing in the name of Jesus. But you've got to learn, number one, how to call out to the name of Jesus, and you've got to be specific with God with your request. You see, Barnabas was specific with God. And I know some of us may think, well, you know, you don't understand how hard it is or how impossible the situation is. But God is more than able to take any situation and turn it around in the name of Jesus. A while back, I can't remember if I told you this when I came to Toronto last time, but a while back when I was in Virginia, my grand, my mother gave me a call and my grandmother had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, I was driving from Virginia, going back home to Maine. My mom calls me up. I said, how long ago was she diagnosed with breast cancer? She said, like two hours ago. So I started asking my mother a lot of questions. Because even on the phone, you can tell when somebody's crying, you know. And so I started asking my mother a lot of questions. Because I wanted to see where her faith was at. And so my mom tells me. She said, I asked her, I said, where were you just now? She said, I was at your grandmother's house. I said, who else was there? She said, your aunts and your uncle. I said, what were you guys doing? And she said, she said, we were, you know, just talking with your grandmother. A lot of us were crying. I said, I, I can tell that. I can tell by her voice. And so we were just telling your grandmother how much we were going to miss her when she was gone. I thought to myself, dear Lord. So this lady hasn't even been diagnosed for 24 stinking hours. And they're already putting her six feet into the ground. And so a holy anger rose up on the inside of me, you know. Because, you know, they, they grew up in such a religious church. And uh, where they pray like, Lord, I pray that it's not your will that so-and-so dies of cancer. You know, j just a religious atmosphere that they grew up in. And if you know me, get to know me a little bit better. I hate religious places. I hate religion. I'm all about walking in the fullness and the power that God has for us. And so I detoured to my grandmother's house later that, e later that day, and I got to her house at about 8 o'clock uh, in the evening. My grandfather, you know, now they live in a, uh, in a bad neighborhood in the city of New Bedford, Massachusetts, and, and I say bad neighborhood, the whole city's bad, but uh, they live in like a, a, you know, a, a really rough, rough part. And so I get there at 8 o'clock at night, and it was kind of like, I think this was back in February or, uh, of that year. And I remember getting there at 8 o'clock at night, and it gets dark really early. So my grandfather, when I rang the doorbell, my, my grandparents had no idea that I was going there. And uh, I rang the doorbell, and my grandfather comes running out, looking, opening the door. And, uh, you know, with no shirt on, he's old, he's like 80 years old, big belly. And he's got three hairs sticking out of his chest. I hear my grandmother inside the house calling out to him, like, who is it? He's like, oh, it's Nathan. It's Gilda's kid. And uh, he looked at me. He's like, because ah, I had no idea who was at the door. And I said, you have no idea who's at the door at 8 o'clock at night. So you just automatically come to the door with no shirt on, your three little pieces of hair sticking out. I said, Grandpa, I said, nobody wants to see your belly. Go back in the house and put on a shirt. It's disgusting. Nobody wants to see that. So I walk in the house. But when I walked in the house, you ever see those memes? Did I say that right? Memes? That, you ever see those memes where they post things and people, you know, when, when they know, they, you know that they're confident of themselves, they just like walk real, real high with their heads held up high and their shoulders squared like they're the man and there's nothing that's going to stop them? That's exactly what I did when I walked into my grandmother's house. I walked into that house with my head, head held up high, my shoulders squared. I was looking at my grandmother, just looking at her, and she's like, what in the world are you doing here? I said, my mother told me you got diagnosed with breast cancer. She's like, she already told you that? I said, yeah. I said, and they're all crying and saying how they're going to miss you already. And um, I said, Grandma, listen, this is what you need to do. I said, the next time my mother, I said, or any of your daughters or your son start talking like that, you need to tell them that they need to be quiet and they need to get away from your presence because the last thing you need to be hearing is how they're going to miss you because you're going to be six feet under in the ground. 
And she's like, so what did you come and do over here? Say, I didn't have a good relationship with my grandmother. And the reason I didn't have a good relationship with her, I see all my friends, you know, Jonathan and then even my wife, they had great relationships with their grandparents. And they loved their grandparents. And, you know, when, if their grandparents passed away, they would, like, kind of tear up and stuff like that because they loved them. I see, I didn't have that problem with, like, a lot of my, like, my other grandmother and my grandfather and stuff, we didn't have that great relationship, especially when my great, great, and I think it's because we lived in a three-family uh, apartment, and so I lived on the third floor, my uncle on the second floor, and my grandmother lived on the first floor. So I think we were just too close to comfort, you know? Every time my grandmother would say my name, it would be in the same sentence as uh, telling my mom to hit me harder, hit, hit Nathan harder, hit him harder. You're not hitting him hard enough. And so that, that's all I remember. My grand, yeah, pick up the schnaller. The schnaller is a slipper, you know? She's like, take the slipper and hit him harder with this or with the wooden spoon, you know? So I, I, I've learned. I've learned how you can whack a wooden spoon off of my back and it will break in half because I've learned the position, you know? And so my mom used to whack me and my grand, hit him harder, hit him harder. And so I didn't have a great relationship with my grandparents. And we moved moved here from Portugal and everybody, you know, everybody was already, they already had their life together. So when we moved from Portugal, it's kind of like we, we just like fell in and everybody else had to take care of us. Everybody already had their life all settled and stuff like that. And here are the greenhorns or the immigrants. They've, they've come, and now we have to take care of them. So we didn't have a good relationship. And they really used to talk bad about me and my brothers. And the Pimentel boys think they're better than everybody else. But it's not that we think that we're better than everybody else. We just know who we are in Christ Jesus. And so, but anyway, so I get there to go pray for my grandmother. And I lay hands on her, and I took authority over the cancer that was in her body. And the moment I laid hands on my grandmother, right, I literally felt the power of God hit her, and my grandmother began to praise God. See, there's a lot of times when, you know, we're, we're battling a situation in our lives, or we've encountered something, and all of a sudden, you know, the very first thing that we want to do is we want to cry. And you know what? Sometimes crying is okay. That's why we have those emotions. But you know what's even better than crying? is when you begin to open up your mouth and begin to praise God. Because what happens is this. When you, oftentimes when people cry, it's because they're allowing defeat to come into their life. But when you begin to praise God, what you're doing is you're releasing victory into the atmosphere and releasing victory into your situation. And so I laid hands on my grandmother and the power of God came upon her and she started shouting at like 80, 75, 80 years old. She put me to shame the way that she was jumping up and down. And so I laid hands on her, prayed for her, hugged her. I said, Grandma, everything's going to be all right. And so I walked out, and my aunts and my uncle heard about me going to my grandmother's house to go and pray for her. So instead of saying, hey, thanks for going to your grandmother's house and to my mother's house to go and pray for her, you know what they did? They criticized me. They talked bad about me. And you know what they told my mom? They told my mom, what does your son think? That his prayers have something that our prayers don't have? And I told my mom, I said, be my, be my little messenger girl today, mom. I said, you go back to your brother and you go back to your sisters and you tell them, Nathan says his prayers absolutely do have something that your prayers don't have. And I told her, that's the power of the Holy Ghost that will break any stronghold and break every manner of sickness and disease. Can somebody say amen? And so my grandmother, on that day, I learned a strong lesson, just like Bartimaeus, because after Bartimaeus received this healing, see, he began to praise God after he received this healing. But my grandmother, she started praising God in the middle of what she was going through. And I tell you, my friend, the greatest way to receive from God and to create your moment to receive from God is by opening up your mouth in the form of praise. Because when you open up your mouth and you begin to praise God, the Bible says that God inhabits in the praises of his people. So if you're here today, like so many people I've heard in life, they say, well, preacher, I need a miracle. Well, if you need a miracle, then you're only one praise away because the Bible says that God inhabits 
and the praises of his people. So what that means is this. When you begin to praise God, what God actually does is he he, he jumps over the balconies of heaven and he steps into your situation and he intervenes on your behalf. And when God steps into your situation, then guess what? All your enemies have no other option but to step out in the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Sometimes an unusual praise will create an unusual miracle in your life. The evangelist or the pastor or the apostle and the prophet to lay hands. But I believe part of what God has called me to, to do is to encourage the body of Christ that you have access to the very same power of God that I do, that Pastor John does. Can somebody say amen? And when you begin to praise God, your enemies start getting confused. They don't know what to do. They don't know what their next, they, see, the only thing they know is this, that when you begin to praise God, they know that the fight is almost over and they are, all, are almost defeated because they understand that when you praise God, you're not calling the archangel Gabriel, you're not calling Michael to assignment. When you praise God, you are calling the God of heaven and earth to intervene on your behalf, can somebody say amen? And I declare to you, as you begin to praise God on a daily basis, your enemies from this moment forward, they're going to be stepping out. And Jesus, when he steps in, your enemies have no other option but to step out in the name of Jesus. But I believe one of the greatest keys that we as believers could understand and grasp the revelation on is the power that there is in praise. That's why it's important when we sing and when we praise God. That's why it's important. When I, you know, there's, there's something different between worship and praise. That's why when I have my altar calls everywhere that I go, I don't want worship music. I want praise music. Because when you begin to praise on the tambourine, praise on the drum, praise on the keyboard, even though it may sound good to our ears, it's more than just sounding good. Something is happening in the heavenlies. But even more so, when you begin to praise God with your mouth. You see, I remember years ago, Jonathan and I used to go to a church in Lexington, Massachusetts. It was filled with so many old Italian men. And every time... Somebody would say, praise God. Remember those times when, praise God. All the old Italian men would take their little handkerchiefs out of their pockets, you know, and they would wave it around in the air. And, like, they, they wouldn't say anything, but you'd see a whole bunch of white hankies waving around in the air. But you know what? That was disgusting. They were holding snotty rags in the air, and they were just waving it around. And let me tell you what. Praising God is not taking a hanky and waving it in the air. Praising God is going to require that you open up your mouth and you use your voice vocal cords, even when you don't feel like praising God. I've heard people say, well, preacher, it's just not in my DNA. It's not in my skin color to praise God the way other people praise God. But let me tell you what, your skin color has nothing to do with how high and how much you praise God. I tell people, the size of your praise is directly proportional to the magnitude of the hell that God took you out of. So if he took you out of a small hell, then you give him a small praise. But if you're here today and God has picked you up, turned you around, and placed your feet on solid ground, then God deserves the highest praise. Can somebody say amen? Has nothing to do with the color of your skin or your cultural heritage. Can somebody, that's just not my personality. Let, let me encourage you, change your personality. Can somebody say amen to that? I am a big, I love to watch football. I do. I love the New England Patriots. And when they won their Super Bowl, everybody, not this last time, a couple years ago, but when they won the Super Bowl, 
I started jumping and shouting in my house like there was no tomorrow. But let me tell you what. God is more than the New England Patriots. God is more than the Super Bowl. Can somebody say amen? If I can shout for the New England Patriots, then I can shout for God. Can somebody say amen? If we've got unbelievers who are living perverted lifestyles and they can display what they believe out in the public and shout it out loud from the rooftops, then you and I, as a believer, we can shout out about the goodness of God. Can somebody say amen? The government may come after you. They may try to take this from you. They may try to take that from you. But I'll tell you what they can't take. They can't take your praise. And as long as you've got a praise coming out of your mouth, you'll experience victory all the days of your life. In the name of Jesus, can somebody say amen? I don't care what the doctor's report is. Sometimes you may have to seem foolish and look foolish, but when the doctor comes into the office and he may give you the, a negative report that you weren't experienced, you may have to jump off of that bed, but don't forget to hold the back of your Johnny. You may have to jump off of that bed and you ought to start praising God in the middle of that room. He may think you're crazy, but you let him know a crazy praise gets me a crazy miracle in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Can somebody say Amen. And that's why it's important that you begin to praise God. And I believe Bartimaeus, and you know what? Bartimaeus walked away praising God. You want to keep your healing? You want to keep your blessing? You want to keep your miracle? Then after it comes, you walk away with the praise still in your mouth. Because praise is thanking God. It's like a loan officer. When you walk into a bank to go get a loan for a, a, a mortgage, after you leave and after he says you're approved, you shake his hand and you say what? You say thank you. But you're thanking him for what? You're thanking him for his word because the money's not in your hand yet and the money's not even in your account. You're just thanking him for his word. And sometimes that's all God wants. He wants somebody to believe his word and to thank him. Can somebody say amen? The Bible says it is good to give thanks unto the Lord. And I believe for some of you tonight, you have an opportunity to create your moment to receive a miracle from God. Can somebody say amen? And I sense in my spirit there are some of you here. You need God to move on your life. You need God to move on your behalf. And God's going to take care of it. All you've got to do, forget what you see in the natural. See, a lot of times what we see in the natural, you can't believe everything you see in the natural. You have to believe everything that you see in the word of God. You can't go wrong if you line yourself up to the word of God. You know, people, when I was in the Netherlands, we had some Bible college students that were with us. And, you know, they said that I had foolish talk in my mouth. Because, honestly, I just believe the word of God. And they would keep telling me, well, you got to look at the natural. Uh, I do look at the natural. But I understand you and I, we're not natural people. We're supernatural people. We're supernatural beings. I was natural at one point, but then at the age of 17, I gave my life over in faith to Jesus Christ, and I became born again. And the real me is not this body. The real me is the spirit man that lives on the inside of me. And the Bible says in Ephesians, I have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Can somebody say amen? I have authority over all the works of the enemy. Instead of the world having a control of the affairs of life, the body of Christ is going to have control over the affairs of this world. Can somebody say amen? This world doesn't belong to the devil. This world belongs to God. You don't belong to the devil. You belong to God. Your kids don't belong to the devil. Your kids belong to God. Can somebody say amen? And I believe when you allow a praise to come out of your mouth, you're creating a moment for you to receive from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. With every hand lifted high right now, I'm going to ask each and every single one of you to do something that may take you out of your comfort zone for a little while. But you know what? The very fact that you're here leads me to believe that you don't care what anybody else thinks about you. We had about 150 people here this morning, and we have about 40 here tonight. I enjoy preaching to a crowd like this even more than I do to 180 people because the crowd that's here tonight, you're here because you want to be here. You're here because you understand that God has more for you. You don't want to go through the same things that everybody else has gone through. And I believe you being here today, God 
is going to supernaturally advance you far beyond everybody else. When they look at you and say, well, how, does, how, how did that happen to so-and-so? Where did they get to where they're at right now? It's because you've been faithful to the kingdom of God. You've been faithful to the house of the Lord. Never underestimate the power that there is in faithfulness and loyalty to the kingdom of God. Because when you show faithfulness and loyalty to God's kingdom, God's favor will back you up in every situation of your life. But I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you for some of those of you that may not be used to this. It's probably going to take some courage. It's probably going to take some humility. But I'm going to ask you to lift your stand to your feet and lift your hands. And I'm going to ask you for like about one to 60 seconds to just give God your very best praise. And I'm going to ask you to open your mouth. Like don't don't praise God. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his majesty, for being mighty. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're the king of kings, that you're the only God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you inhabit in the praises of your people. And Father, right now, just like Bartimaeus created his moment, Father, there's many of us here tonight. Father, we need your hand to intervene on our behalf. And so, Father, as we begin to praise you, we are inviting your presence into our situation. We are transferring the battle out of our hands, and we're placing it into your hands in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, every assignment that the enemy has planned against us, we take authority over it right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord. Even now, you're filling people with your mighty Holy Ghost. Father, you're breaking strongholds in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're breaking off addictions right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you. You're reversing situations in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you, Lord. You're reversing legal situations right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I come against any person. I come against any principality or power that tries to hinder, Father, from your people from receiving what you have for them. So, Father, we give you praise. We give you glory, God. Father, we lift up our voice and we thank you because you are a holy God. We thank you. You are the almighty God. We thank you. There is none like you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, our healer, our provider. We thank you, God, that you're working for us, God. You're never against us. And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Hallelujah. And Father, I pray that walls would come down right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.